Hi everyone and welcome to Hit the Apex this week where we're finally on both Spotify and iTunes podcast as well. So check us out on that um, afterwards when this edition is available. So yeah, we're finally on those formats which is great. But um, anyway, we're here to talk about the US Grand Prix, the Gold Coast 600 and whatever else is going on in the world of motorsport at the moment. And at last, Baden, we've actually got something to be happy about in F1 world. It's not the race that we expected where the championship would be wrapped up and Lewis Hamilton would win for the 100th time on US soil. But um, Kimi Raikkonen, finally, or I'm not going to use what say what he said, but effing finally, um, 113 races and one of the longest droughts in F1 history. And we thought this day would never come where Kimi Raikkonen would stand on the top step of the podium for Ferrari. As you did say about something time, and clearly it was a satisfying moment for all concerned, and in his own nonchalant manner, he celebrated uh, as you would expect, but clearly it would have meant a lot to him and to his, all of his supporters, and as you, as we know, only a few more races till his tenure at Ferrari ends, so it's a nice way for him to sign off. Exactly, and you know, as I said at the top, it wasn't the outcome we had expected, but it ended up being one of the best races of the year for 2018. Um, we had a, you know, such a awesome top three battle at the end of the race uh, between Verstappen, Hamilton, and Raikkonen. I guess ultimately the title was delayed for another race now for Lewis Hamilton. Ferrari, a bit of a comeback, you could say, a little too late. You would have it because they were actually quick on pace and even in qualifying they were close to Lewis Hamilton and missed out by as Maurizio Riverbeni you know described um with his hand gestures just like the tiniest of margins so yeah um but yeah let's talk about the race so yeah Kimi beats um Lewis off the line who was on pole Kimi starting second and was on the ultra soft tire too so we already predicted before the race started that yeah with those tires he should get the better grip off the line um which he did but then you know he pulled a little bit of a lead on Hamilton um he was able to uh get away but then Hamilton caught up again and had to basically make his car as wide as possible to try and defend and that was when probably one of the most decisive moves of the race happened was when the virtual safety car came out for Daniel Ricciardo on lap 11 um we were wondering okay is Ferrari going to pit Kimi or leave him out or what's Lewis going to do Mercedes told Hamilton to do the opposite of Raikkonen, so Raikkonen did a bit of a dummy going into the pit lane, stayed out, then Hamilton had to come in, and that ended up being the the decisive move of the race, because for Hamilton, it ended up being too early to pit, because he had started the race on the super soft tyres, I think, or the soft tyres, and then he ended up having to make a second pit stop, while Raikkonen raced through to lap 22, made a single stop for the soft tyres, and Hamilton had to make a second stop on lap 38. So that basically killed his chances of winning and uh, left it all for Ferrari to take. It wasn't for a lack of scepticism from all concerned, you might say, after that stop in the safety car. Certainly Martin Brundle was uh, on the front foot there um, beating the drum why Ferrari didn't follow suit. And in the initial stages, a lot of doubt was there, but you could see pretty quickly the... The way that uh, Raikkonen, after he stayed out there and when Hamilton on the fresher rubber came up behind him and was able to hold him at bay, that pretty quickly put an end to that charge. And even when Raikkonen did stop, uh, Hamilton had it all to do. So it fell into place pretty nicely. And I've got to uh, give credit to Ferrari for once. They 
played this one right and and yes people were really scratching their heads for a time there but uh, on this occasion with the the rubber that and what we go back to before the race to talk of those updates they've gone with what served them so well earlier and they backed themselves in so it's just good to see but again it's a shame it's too little too late well yeah as you said it it was kind of hard to um it's been hard to really back ferrari lately with strategy calls and whatnot and at the time it was like oh they've probably made another mistake here but it ended up being the right call for once and talking about the upgrades as well Sebastian Vettel said before the race that they've had to like basically erase four months worth of updates on that car to undo the damage that they did in the last few months after the mid-season break so now they've gone back to I think something that they had around the time of the German Grand Prix or even Silverstone and um, yeah that was back when their car was genuinely quick and on circuits like this where you know Mercedes have previously been untouchable so yeah for for third at least for Hamilton I guess that was all that he could recover wasn't enough for the title because Sebastian Vettel finished fourth Um, he had a grid penalty for another bit of a brain fade during practice he was moving too quickly under the red flags or speeding under the red flags so he was given a three second penalty had to start lower down but then on the first lap he ended up uh, spinning because he touched Daniel Ricciardo so again an identical move to what he did on Verstappen in Japan Lewis Hamilton in Monza as well so Vettel just I don't know is he just lacking confidence or he just doesn't know how to race in the pack. You know, we go back to those Red Bull days where he would be criticised all the time. Or he doesn't know how to race uh, with others or whatever when he's down in the pack. You know, it's just, yeah, it just reeks of desperation at the moment from Vettel. But he ended up recovering to finish fourth in the end and sort of deny Hamilton um, for another week at least the title. Because, yeah, if uh, Vettel finished fourth, Hamilton would have had to win the race to be able to secure the points to take the title. It was just the culmination of a rotten back half of that season and really shows you that in terms of how clinical you've got to be to, to take the ultimate prize. It's, it's been lacking for the, the German and um, you can see after qualifying he was desperately frustrated to miss out by such a narrow margin coupled with that penalty. So he was a little bit desperate and again he doesn't play those percentages um, whereas you see with Hamilton later in that race, when he was going wheel to wheel with Verstappen, he left him plenty of room, and yes, he could have made a real fist of it for P2, but it could have ended in catastrophe, and he ended up with that still, even though he didn't get the win, or even that second to take out the the title. He knows where he's at, and Vettel's someone who just doesn't seem to have that clarity, and, and yet again, he's just shown that inability after so many occurrences this year to to mature and it's hard to believe as a four-time champion that he's still capable of, of these errors but here he is time in time out and it's no longer surprising well not only just as a four-time world champion but also when you look back to the start of the season the first two races he won pretty convincingly and we thought right you know this is vintage Vettel here we're going to see him uh take the title this year uh, or at least you know challenge right until the last race so the way that it's fallen away so rapidly again like last year it's just really disappointing so you know again colliding with Dan that mistake just yeah it didn't seem like it was uh you know again you had to sort of hold your head in your hand and say well you know this is why he's not going to win a world championship um, anytime soon if we're going to see mistakes like this constantly but also 
during the race, it would have been kind of satisfying. I'm sure you'd agree that uh, when Kimi was coming up behind Seb and being on the different strategies or whatever, Ferrari telling Seb for once to move out of the way. So, you know, not that we like that sort of stuff, but yeah, Kimi, you know, in that situation, it was hard not to get a bit worried that they'd try to butcher Kimi's strategy again, just to see if Seb would be able to salvage something for the title. But yeah, to let him pass and everything, it was really good. And they didn't really hold back as far as letting Kimi win this one. In the long run as well, you can see in terms of the context of that race, it was more appropriate for Raikkonen with that chance of victory to take those points that Hamilton needed rather than Vettel, who was no chance of reeling in Hamilton. So on this occasion, you could see that there was absolutely no point in Ferrari sabotaging Raikkonen when he just had outright pace there. He looked so comfortable and it just shows you one of those occasions again. So many times he's been stopped in his tracks um, and fascinatingly when you look through the stats this year he's now matched Vettel in terms of results there I believe it's seven or eight all when they've both finished so it shows you how far the Finn has come along this season and just Vettel as much as he might have outright speed just the fact that he makes these errors and Raikkonen who's been so consistent and it's just credit to to him and the victory really was just desserts for, for what he's put in this season. Yeah, Kimi's always been a consistent driver that doesn't really make those mistakes. And this is when, you know, one day when you look back at his career, when he does retire and everything, you'll look back to the days he was at McLaren, for example, and how consistent was he, yet the car he was driving was not up to standards reliability wise so you know those years where he finished runner up to Schumacher for example or to to Alonso in 05 and 06 or whatever you know he could have easily won those championships if it wasn't for the McLaren unreliability because Kimi for one was up there and all this talk about Kimi being a laggard and oh he's very uninspiring and whatnot he could have he could easily have 30 race wins under his belt and easily another title if he had won one of those um, in 05 or 06, so... It's just the way that, that <laughs> those perspectives work out when you see in terms of titles and victories and you compare it to his compatriot in Bottas, who looked all the rage earlier in the season and he's just fallen right off the boil through no fault of his own and um, it's just being in that right place at the right time. But it, we've got to take it for what it is for that victory just before he does depart Ferrari, probably going to be that... He's got three more races, who knows what happens, but just to see him up there again, it was immensely satisfying. And for Vettel, um, it'd probably just drive him on more to see a Ferrari on the top step that wasn't himself, just what could have been. Yeah, exactly. We saw him dissatisfied at Monza when he was made the little uh, the dummy to give Kimi the toe in qualifying. So, yeah, it doesn't really sit well with him to see his teammate ahead. But this is why next year is going to be so good when uh, Leclerc comes to the team and shakes things up a little bit. So, yeah, keeps um, Vettel on his toes. But anyway, enough of Ferrari and stuff. So we had Verstappen also finish in the top three, but he ended up having to start from 18th again and had another trip to the podium uh, in what was another mature performance. You talk about... Vettel not being mature, this is weird that Verstappen is driving a little bit more maturely than Vettel at the moment, and who who thought we would have said that at the start of the season, so yeah, 18th to 2nd, ultimately holding off Hamilton in those final laps, I guess, 
all three of them in the final few laps were within a second of, a second of each other. So that's what made it so thr thrilling to watch on the TV and everything. And who knows what it would have been like if you were trackside too. The atmosphere would have been intense. And I guess it's just a tale of two halves for Red Bull. You know, while on the other hand, you've got Verstappen who's taking the podiums. He could be in contention to win next week, this weekend in Mexico. Yet Daniel Ricciardo would just continues to it's almost become a joke now that um he he's the one having the reliability failures and i was reading earlier as well that um even within red bull his uh current employers making jokes about him going to Renault and everything saying oh you know um you better tell your employers next year that uh, to improve their game and stuff like that so a kind of bitter from red bull in a way to ricardo given that the service he's given them and he's the one who's constantly having to lose out with all this. It's just systematic of the way Red Bull works. You, you're with them until you're not, and no matter how much the, the fault might be out of the driver's hands, I'll still go and um, point the fingers and absolutely make fun of you. And for Ricardo, he's got the, the rotten luck that Verstappen endured last season, and, and you can see the way that those results have reversed this year for Verstappen and his development from those opening races to where he's at now, it's been just a huge curve and, and you can only hope from the outset next year if Honda's on its game and, and the Red Bull, again, we've got to mention their accountability in terms of these failures. Oh, well. Packaging has, has something to say with, with Renault just combusting so spectacularly and so often in Ricardo's border. And again, that suspicion that since Ricardo announced he was on his way to Renault, how frequently this has occurred, that there are some questions you've got to ask without being too skeptical, but you just couldn't make it up. And for Ricardo at this point, he's probably just phoning it in. He's probably lost that that drive. You couldn't blame him. Just the way things are going for him now, talk of punching a his fist through the wall who blames him yeah exactly and given what you said about red bull as well the onus being on them like i wonder what it's if it comes to that next year you know helmet marco at the moment is saying oh we could even be championship contenders next year so you know wait till that doesn't happen and what um he will be saying at the time too but yeah for ricardo's side i just kind of want the season to end already and for him to be in the Renault and just for him to prove I guess Red Bull wrong in a way too because Renault themselves I think as a manufacturer team I'm sure next year they will be a lot better than where they are this year given that they've got all the resources in-house and everything and you know it's probably no surprise that as far as Red Bull is concerned that they don't really want to collaborate as closely even in these final few races hence all these failures perhaps so yeah it wouldn't be surprising if that's the reason but yeah, you kind of want the season to end now for Dan so he can start a new next. When you look at Renault, they haven't had anywhere near as many the factory team that is and these reliability failures and they've still been there or thereabouts and again in an anonymous fashion throughout the season. There's no reason why they might not add half a second and be legitimately in contention for top five placings and that would be more than passable for Ricardo and he's realistic when he goes to run out what he will be expecting next year. So that, that for him will be an immediate improvement on what he's certainly copped since Monaco. Yeah, exactly. Not having actually had another podium 
since Monaco. So that's really, really depressing if you're a Ricardo fan or an Aussie. But on the topic of Renault, it was a key result for them as well in Austin, 6th and 7th, um, especially considering how Haas didn't score any points as well. So that little battle for 4th in the Constructors' Championship. So a big leap, you know, if they do finish 4th ultimately from where they were last year. So again, you know, from where they were 2016, then 2017, 2018, and now what do you expect in 2019? They're making those progress. I guess it's just Red Bull that wants to drag their name through the mud all the time because they're not winning races and championships so yeah sixth and seventh really good I guess Haas had a pretty terrible race ultimately with the disqualification for Kevin Magnussen he would have finished he did finish in the points but he and Esteban Ocon excluded for fuel uh, fuel flow irregularities which I guess we saw with Daniel Ricciardo in Melbourne back in 2014 when he finished on the podium and then later to be heartbroken with the news that yeah he had that podium stripped it just shows you again that uh, the line that F1 plays in terms of these technicalities and how often it gets in the way between that and the, the grid drops we get almost on a race-by-race basis that it's become way too manipulated by by regulation. And you have to wonder, again, 2020 on and beyond, if they can simplify everything so you can go all out without having to be conservative and, and just that talk of of how drivers really can't put it all on the line. They're always having to work to, to deltas and all these other parameters. It just gets frustrating when when this ends up deterring from hard-earned drives. And in the scheme of this little battle, these guys are fighting quite an intense fight there for fifth or sixth in the constructors. And that, that's going to be quite pivotal. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, O'Connor as well, last couple of races for him for the season, he probably wants to go out on a high as much as possible and Haas you know for them on home soil too not to have scored any points so Roman Grosjean you know didn't end up finishing the race because he had a little um, hit on Charles Leclerc on the opening lap so you know again landing him in a bit of hot water Grosjean so three place grid penalty for Mexico and also his two penalty points on his license closer to another race ban so you know um, pretty dangerous uh, or murky waters he's in at the moment is Grosjean if he has another race ban in his career that's you know not going to look good on him. He's a bit of a shame considering everything that did happen it's easy to lump it all into what he did do at the start of the season, but he's turned it around, and this is just a, a byproduct of where things are at mentally for him when, when he seems really adrift, but he has turned things around from that mid-season, and whenever that 12-month window rolls over, you can hope that he does start afresh and he doesn't fall foul in that time because he, he needs to um, wipe the slate clean, and 2019, you'd hope that he continues the form that he has shown and this was just uh, one of those racing incidents where it was a bit clumsy but um, you had to give him the benefit of the doubt on um, looking at it objectively. Yeah I guess um, if you know 2019 will be key year for Grosjean could be his last even um, when you look at it um, looking ahead to 2020 and whatnot so yeah looking objectively it was one of those contentious ones, and we'll talk about another one um, that happened on the first lap as well. But f- with the points, actually, with those two being disqualified, it was Hartley and Ericsson that ended up both in the points. So Brennan Hartley, again, pretty 
miserable at the end of the race having finished 11th but he would have had some crumb of comfort that he got his um best ever f1 finished as a result of those disqualifications in the end so finishing ninth i believe in the end and then ericsson 10th to get a point for sauber both those guys we know one's already fallen off the grid and partly more and more likely that he won't be there so it's just nice for them to to have some um, slither of satisfaction for them and and you can see that they they have improved both of them probably under the radar again being upstaged by their more bored teammates but this whole Hartley issue about him coming out and saying that he's lacked the support from his team and everything and from Red Bull as well it's kind of like well yeah you know how do you treat one of your employees this is sort of a workplace thing now how do you treat one of your employees like that we all sort of knew perhaps you know Hartley's employment this year at Toro Rosso was just a stopgap because they didn't really have any other drivers to draft in for this year but you know he's still out there to do a job and he's scored vital championship points for Toro Rosso he's done vital development work as well for for Toro Rosso and for Honda too for Red Bull next year so how can he not get that credit but yeah it just shows you how cutthroat f1 is in that respect and that's the sort of element of it that you it's hard not to dislike when you compare it to other motorsports i mean where hartley's come from being a world champion in sports cars and endurance racing and you don't get any of that sort of political stuff over there as far as drivers are concerned so for it to happen here in a team that's not even fighting for race wins and whatnot it is a bit um shocking in that respect so hopefully he gets to go out with his um, head held high you know it's likely that uh, albon will be taking that next seat at toro rosso but yeah just the way it's all panned out for hartley th- saying that he's got no support basically it's yeah i don't know if it sits right with any it shouldn't sit right with anyone basically well those polemics of the, the lower teams and their drivers when they are marking time particularly in the case of Toro Rosso where they never seem to have a long-term agenda they're always um, reactionary it seems as though they're getting their drivers who are being forced out because they are just reaching that natural expiry date yet they don't have the next talent coming through they will often go back to a previously fired hand and that'll be no exception next year with Kofia yeah well well that's I dare say next year we'll be saying same thing in 12 months and he'll be making the same remarks and it won't be a surprise to anybody given that they're saying oh you know he's uh matured and we're looking forward to having a long-term future with him i'm sure next year yeah as you say it'll be the same situation with kathiat and that's i guess the pretty depressing facet about toro rosso even though they are like their own entity as a team they very much you know operate as little um, slave team to Red Bull if you want to use the term that Renault used about manufacturers and whatnot so um, yeah that's about Hartley and Ericsson and the other incident that happened on the first lap Fernando Alonso again loving life with uh, Lance Stroll those two seem inseparable at the moment so um, coming together and Alonso having a big Twitter rant uh, about it as well after the race saying yeah he didn't come all the way to Austin, stay there for 14 days just to make it 600 metres off the start line. So he'll be marking, you know, he'll be biding his time too till he finishes up at the end of the year from McLaren and from Formula One the way it is. But yeah, Stroll given a penalty as a result of that. But um, yeah, you know, for Alonso and McLaren, it's just hard not to be a bit more miserable about 
the results. And as a result of those penalties, I think Van Dorn got elevated to 11th, but that's hardly any crumb of comfort given that, um, yeah, that's not really the points that they're looking for. Still anticipating Alonso to go postal at Abu Dhabi and just take out all the frustrations which have been pent up particularly since 2014 where it's been one-way traffic and you can see the sanity slowly departing his body. So it would not be a surprise at all to see some sort of outburst, whether it's through his uh, vocally or physically on the racetrack. There's, there's going to be some scenes to, to look out for just so he can sign off on a note where he will be remembered. Yeah, he'll do a Malcolm, Tucker, a Malcolm Tucker farewell speech from the Thick of It TV show. But yeah, so that's all I guess we have for Austin. What a great race it was. I had to watch it again on the Monday evening replay. You know, the first time I've done that in a long time for a race this year. So hopefully Mexico, as much as, yeah, we know that the title is pretty much done and dusted. Um, hopefully we have another race just like Austin as well. So we'll talk about Mexico a bit later anyway. I hope for what it is. Raikkonen was a, a nice spring of fresh air. Whether we get a, a Red Bull in the mix or even Valtteri Bottas, dare we say, even though it looks like he's just lost that motivation quite rightly since he was put into to line um, due almost exclusively to misfortunes out of his hands. It would be nice for someone different, and in the context of the championship, it wouldn't be a surprise at all, just delaying that inevitable from... Monday morning our time here to next Monday morning. Oh, we be fortnight Monday morning anyway. I couldn't do another three weeks in a row uh, getting up at... Oh, I don't mean for us waking up. I mean in terms of the championship. Yeah, uh, yeah, but be, still... still 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 it's Still, it's, still it's a, another fortnight after that. But yeah, it would have to be extenuating circumstances for... Hamilton to have it delayed to Brazil ultimately. So yeah, let's talk about the uh, what else is happening in the digest. So whilst Hamilton didn't get to win his fifth world championship, Mark Marquez was able to in the MotoGP again with three races in hand, and he seems to be doing this quite regularly. I think this is the second time in his MotoGP career that is that he's wrapped up the title at Motegi in Japan. So nice little touch at Honda's home race too. So it was, uh, I guess, even though points-wise, yeah, it was um, all in his favour. Um, Andre De Vizioso, again, having a really uh, strong fight with him at the end of the race, and ultimately he uh, crashed out, and, yeah, that was it for the for the championship. So, yeah, Marquez winning and taking the championship, seven in total for him now in uh, MotoGP, but all, like in the Premier class, he's got five. So yeah, not too far behind the likes of um, Valentino Rossi, Giacomo Agostini as well. He equals Mick Doohan too, which is good um, with five Premier class titles. So yeah, and only at the age of 25 as well. you got to think, wow, you know, if Valentino's still racing and he's 37, 38 now, imagine... Marquez in another 15 years if racing if he can manage it yeah Marquez is on track for 15 or 16 titles it's pretty inevitable at this point <laughs> exactly unless there's some kind of big change in the Honda bike doesn't end up being the best anymore yeah it's uh, hard not to see Marquez taking a few more out so yeah another year another championship for Marquez but quickly while we're on MotoGP it's been kind of satisfying in a way to see that um, a bit of vindication for Davizioso that he's been the closest challenger to Marquez for the last two years. I mean, Lorenzo, he had his little renaissance this year, but he's been out injured 
and I don't think we will see him back until Malaysia in a couple of weeks time but yeah him going over to Honda next year giving Marquez a bit of trouble Yamaha having their own issues so yeah Davizioso really has stepped up and been that challenger and actually has been doing a great job versus Marquez if this year hasn't been a slight step back from taking it to the wire 12 months ago at least he's got himself established as that next candidate and you can just hope that Ducati really has has a bike there where they can show that um, glimpse of speed that we saw really from Lorenzo out of nowhere across the full season and maybe if Lorenzo does treble markers and they take points off each other unlike Pedros has been able to affect any point this season the Ducati might really be able to take it to them blow for blow yeah it's going to be quite fiery next year so it should be really good to watch and I can't wait um Stoffel van Dorn made some news last week as well. He's making the switch to Formula E, so no surprise there, given that there's no room for him on the F1 grid. But the team he's going to, I find it quite interesting. It's going to be the um, Mercedes affiliate team to Formula in Formula E, HWA or whatever. So he'll be alongside Mercedes' longtime test driver, Gary Paffett, who won the DTM championship this year as well. So, you know, could that be a little you know link that van dorn's making to potentially put himself in the mercedes-benz uh, fold there was talk that maybe he might be a, a simulator driver as well for mercedes in um in formula one so that would be quite interesting to see and quickly mentioning the hwa name so they're going to be also in the new formula three grid so that got announced during the week as well that the proper undercard under Formula 2 uh, to F1. There'll be Formula 3 next year as well with your usual teams like Prema, ART and Trident and all that. So, um, yeah, to see that name pop up there as well will be quite good. Hopefully just consolidating those ties. Not that they haven't got some cabs off the rank as it is and Esteban Ocon still feature prominently in their future when Hamilton or, or Bottas are move on or moved aside in the next couple of years but you can see they're establishing a pathway there for maybe five or ten years down the track and it is good to see after Ferrari they've done very well already with Charles Leclerc about to come online from his time in the lower categories so um, in line of what they've already achieved they're just future proving themselves future proving themselves but hopefully not just stockpiling drivers and giving them no future like we've seen this year pascal verline decide to pull the plug on his relationship with mercedes esteban ocon hopefully williams do take him for next year and he can find his way back towards mercedes or something now all that talk is about uh, Mercedes might dump Bottas in favour of him at the end of next year, which, you know, for Bottas is a bit unfortunate given that he's not really put a foot wrong himself. It's just that he's been dictated to to do this and whatnot. So, yeah, that'll be interesting to see how that pans out for those guys. And you wouldn't even blame Bottas if he had to endure another 12 months of this. He might look elsewhere instead of being in this eternal role where he's got what it takes but just completely boxed in then maybe a Renault I've thought for a while that he would be a good fit there maybe it'd be Ricardo and Bottas in 2020 and who else that there might be another candidate for him but um, you can see Mercedes will be ruthless if they've got someone in the wings like an Ocon they're not going to sit around and see the best years of 
of his career or someone else go by the wayside. Unless, of course, Hamilton makes way himself and goes on to do other things that he's always wanted to do in life. So, yeah, then we can keep Bottas on the grid because I do think he deserves a place on the grid and oh, in yeah, a... definitely finding and but also in a front running car like it's kind of hard seeing him go back to like a midfield team for example and yeah with Renault as well hopefully by then they're actually podium contenders and everything or winning the odd race so that would be good for them I guess so while we're still on the topic of Mercedes it was good to hear this morning too that Nicky Lauda has been released from hospital so two months after he had that lung transplant so yeah hopefully we get to see him back in the F1 paddock next year at some stage. But, yeah, it's just good to see that he's been released and is on the mend. Been a bit touch and go for a while there, but the resilience he's demonstrated going back to about 1976, 77, you can see that that hasn't um, departed him just yet. And, obviously, it's a slow recovery for him. So you'd hope he'll be back in the paddock when he's ready for it. But uh, Mercedes will be relieved to see the man who's been instrumental in placing them where they are and, and dealing with all that bluster. He's the right man to, to settle things when when the political shade and Freud won't come out. There's no one better to count on and hopefully he's still got a role to play when health dictates. Yeah, well, he's the best elderly fan that they've got, you got to say. So, yeah, as Hamilton says, best fans. Yes, yeah, so they've definitely got a close relationship and he was instrumental in bringing Hamilton across, so he's clearly got a special role in making Mercedes what they are today. Exactly. So let's move it on anyway, talk about supercars, because it was the Enduro Cup finale over the weekend um, at Gold Coast, and also the last time we'll see the Gold Coast 600 format too, where we already talked about the calendar for next year and how Gold Coast will be a 500k race on Sunday and also um, not the final piece of the Enduro Cup either now with Sandown moving into that position so it was a pretty big weekend you got to say even though we had the washout on Sunday but um, just going over the talking points now so Saturday's race bit of a thriller we had Chas Mostert, James Moffat break the Tickford drought as well which actually dated back to Saturday's Gold Coast race last year that was the last time that Tickford had won a race it was Mostert and Owen back then but yeah for James Moffat too, he made the key move on lap 36 to take the lead of the race from Tony D'Alberto. Um, for him, I guess, a bit of vindication too, given that um, the last few years as a primary driver, he's really struggled and, you know, he only had that one win back with Nissan in 2013. So to, since then, be without a win and now to come over to a strong team like Tickford with a strong driver like Mostert, it, it's good vindication for Moffat too. Yeah, Moffat's probably found his calling there alongside those Carrera Cup commitments and that little fracas he did have off track. That was a bit of drama for him aside, but he didn't get distracted by that fine, which was handed down immediately before the race. And he, paid out by one of his sponsors too, so... Clearly he's well looked after. He's probably got connections to his his well-esteemed father, but um, for Mostert, you can see he's not quite been a patch on his father, Alan over the course of what he achieved in his time there with all the all-time greats of touring cars, but he's more than confident as a co-driver and he's fitted in seamlessly alongside Mostert there at ProDrive and hopefully this is the start of a bit of a renaissance for them with that collaboration to get the Mustang online from next season. Yeah, and also I guess speaking of Alan Moffat too, I guess 
pretty iconic to uh pretty synonymous and iconic that we had Moffat winning in a Ford as well so um Tickford I guess um going back ages ago were linked with Alan Moffat or whatever being the Ford you know factory Ford team or whatever so yeah to win for those guys who Alan Moffat's got ties to as well I guess is a pretty key win for those guys so that was yeah the only win of the weekend given that Sunday's race was washed out and cancelled so by lap 44 we uh, had the race called and declared so a couple of times uh, you know they decided to go back out but it wasn't going to happen in those dreadful conditions I mean it was so bad that you could actually hear the lightning you could hear the thunder sorry through the tv um, broadcast and it basically felt like the the night race in Sydney. Gold Coast clearly got the memo a year too early that it's becoming a single event and this one's annulled on the the Sunday so they're prepared nicely for next year when it will just be that solitary 500 kilometre race on the Sunday. You can only hope that these conditions don't intervene on that occasion but just that the way that um, the weather does strike like it did a few years ago for the very divisive Sydney race they had around the Olympic Park when, when Marcus Ambrose made his return. That was the last time probably had a proper washout, unless you include that Kipsel a few years back when Nick Perkat was the beneficiary. Yeah, well, they actually ran to the chequered flag at that time as well. This time there was no points given because it was below half race distance. But I guess a lot of contention, there was a lot of contentious debate around this as well about why wasn't the race held earlier because they knew that at that time that the weather was going to roll in and it was going to be diabolical given that throughout the first half of the day up until like two o'clock it was, or three o'clock even, it was pretty sunny, typical Gold Coast type weather and then it just turned foul um, just after that so why didn't they do it then why didn't they cancel the race earlier why did the um, race control allow them to go back out for a little bit under the safety car too given that the conditions really didn't ha- improve much and yeah you know there would have been chaos if they had decided to continue to race so um glad that they ultimately did call it but I guess for the spectacle it does detract from it in a way and this is where you've got to try and find that balance of where you know you've got your spectacle you've got to look after the fans and the tv and the sponsors and everything but also safety is also a big thing as well too so yeah finding that balance is key but if you know they had thought about it i mean there's probably more to it and i'm no expert on that but you know if they knew that the rain was rolling in i would have actually proposed for the race to have been held held earlier in the day just so at least we would have had the race done there's always those tie-ups to the support events i'm sure they've got big money on the line it's just a shame that it can't be proofed in a way where that schedule can be reorganized whether you push races back or bring the entire schedule forward of course it puts everyone's plans out of place with all the stakeholders and the permutations of the championship and the effect that it's ultimately had with no points declared and, and whether, whether those drivers and teams involved clearly they're going to have their own opinions based on how it's affected them moving into the final races of the season exactly and i guess for points wise so the results from saturday stood and what happened is we had the championship lead come back into scott mclaughlin's favor so he finished fifth despite starting on pole position um alex Premer had a great opening stint until paul Dumbrell came and 
put him in the wall basically so lucky there was no damage on that car and they were able to continue from fifth and basically stayed there till the end of the race and um, unfortunately for car 97 for Shane Van Gisbergen and Earl Bamber they had quite a few issues I guess and the big one was the uh, pit lane penalty that they got for an unsafe release so those guys almost went into the the Moffat Mostert car and the same thing happened to Jamie Wincup, Paul Dumbrell as well they had a bit of a shocker too finishing um outside uh top five i think ultimately um having that pit lane penalty too so great podium in the end we had moffat mostert then we had lowndes and richards and then um courtney and perkins too holding off david reynolds and luke yulden ultimately you see some of those candidates that are strung around the streets like the um walkinshaw andretti united crew but in terms of that championship picture it is fascinating that mclaughlin through stealth even though TP has been inferior to Triple Eight since the midpoint of the season. He's um, rediscovered that lead, and then it's crucial with the the annulment on the Sunday that suddenly he's rested back that momentum. And, and it will be fascinating to see how he can hold on for the last three or four races if they're still not quite got the best package there. He's clearly going to have to make a breakthrough at some point. So Pukukov has <coughs> become quite a crunch point after that, that race that could have been quite influential on the Sunday that, that that's one that could swing it who knows if McLaughlin wins the title you might look at this moment and think was that the one that's cost triple a yeah exactly and now four races to go and no more co-drivers either so it's all back to um the primary drivers and no uh, what do you call it sprint races as well so yeah it'll be down to the faster car and as you said triple eight have probably had the the faster package and even during the enduros triple eight have had the faster package than um the shell guys but it's just yeah those permutations in an endurance race how they benefit and um favor some and don't to the others so yeah Pugakoi as well Van Gisbergen both I guess drivers being Kiwis and everything Van Gisbergen's typically had the car dialed in a bit better than McLaughlin McLaughlin during his Volvo days was pretty strong and also when GRM were with Holden previously but yeah since he's moved to DJR I don't think they've had the success that he would have liked so hopefully this year they can change that but yeah ideally he's going to have to win at least two races I think to to be to keep that lead from Van Gisbergen and then yeah it's all on Newcastle and trying not to make the same mistakes that he did last year. And you can just see that the way it does seem from here if he holds on that'd be some vindication on what happened last season and just to be able to keep that resilience even without the outright car that they had in the, the initial stages when he was running rampant that would be quite something for them something for them to take into next year and who knows what they'll be capable of when the, the mustang program comes online yeah as well so and quickly to wrap up as well um the enduro couple uh Enduro Cup, sorry, ultimately claimed by Craig Lowndes and Stephen Richards. So for Lowndes in his final season as a full-time driver, winning Bathurst was special enough. But yeah, to claim the Enduro Cup for the second time in his career as well, good vindication for those guys. And yeah, podium in Sandown, victory at Bathurst, and then another podium on the Gold Coast in the Saturday race, you know, gave him enough points to do it. So yeah, it's uh, we called it i guess when he made his announcement of the retirement back in july that you know we reckon he's going to be pretty strong come enduro time he and richo and yeah they haven't disappointed those guys so good uh, congratulations 
perfect way for them both to sign off on that partnership and wherever they shake out next season and you'd hope they both end up in house with triple eight next year and, and clearly they've served triple eight well in their various capacities through the years so i don't think um, the solution if it ain't broke don't fix it that these guys it's a shame to see the partnership come to an end but as far as lounge i think this just about vindicates his decision to go out on a great note. Yeah, exactly. And for Richo, we were saying before, he's won three Bathursts in five years or whatever. Lowndes has got uh, two and three or whatever. Sorry, two and four. So great stats for those guys. And yeah, great partnership as well, which, you know, it's sad, yeah, that we get to we don't get to see them again together. But yeah, individually, whoever they pair up with next year, if Richo is fortunate enough, I'm sure he will be on the grid somewhere, um, that, you know, whoever they're paired up with, they will offer quite a bit. And it all seems like it'll be Wind Cup and Lowndes again pairing up together. So hopefully those two, yeah, we've seen them in the past, uh, wreak havoc so hopefully they'll be able to do some more for triple eight in the enduros next year and for triple eight as far as that future proofing goes on their own end some developments you can see with wing cup taking on um a minority um stake in the team so he's getting ready for life after full-time racing and you do wonder whether he's looking at transitioning to management when he hangs up the, the full-time helmet yeah exactly so you know he's always been with those, you know, I guess Triple Eight and Win Cup have that special relationship. You remember when Win Cup first came into supercars, discarded by GRM, um, thought that he had no hope, but then, yeah, given the opportunity by Roland Dane and what, seven championships later, through four Bathurst one time, um, four Bathurst 1000 wins, over 110 race wins as well, being the most winningest driver of supercars. Yeah, you know, you, it's. You know, it's a great story about Win Cup. So, yeah, we'll wait to see what the future holds then for him. And also for Adrian Burgess, we should mention he's off to become more of an administrator. That's a big move up for him from the team. Yeah, technical chief of the category. So taking over from Dave Stewart. So, yeah, going from being the game, uh, poacher to gamekeeper now. So much like a Ross Braun, you could yeah, say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, in that vein, but not completely like Braun. But anyway, that's a story for another time. So let's wrap things up about um, with Mexico then. The, as we've already talked about, I guess the title could be wrapped up, should be wrapped up this weekend. Hamilton only needs seventh to claim the title regardless of wherever Vettel finishes and there'll be two years in a row that we see Hamilton wrap things up in Mexico too so the sold out crowd will be in for a bit of a spectacle for him but we're hoping that like in Austin the title is a bit secondary to another great race. Yes it's just um, the context of that battle breathed a bit of life into the equation with with Raikkonen just such a popular figure and, and again where he is in terms of that chances of, of wins the way we've been waiting for so long and the unlikeliness that he will get another chance so you can see that that one meant a lot and whether these other guys can break through and you hope Red Bull after all their tribulations that Verstappen particularly he's been so strong here have seen in the past like last season it's probably one of his his most devastating drives of his career to date and if Ricardo somehow dodges a bullet for once we could have both Red Bulls in that mix and then just be Great to see again. If Ferrari as well, the way they've managed to go back to basics, we could have a proper first three-way battle in quite some time, and it takes a lot for that to actually come off. But 
you just hope that as far as Hamilton securing that title, which is much deserved, no one can, can doubt that at this point. But in terms of races, we want to end the year on a, a nice note rather than a damp squib. Yeah, exactly. So Austin was an example of that where we had that exciting race. And, you know, Dan, you already said um, it'd be great to see him up there. But, you know, what are his chances given that there's actually a risk that he might take another power unit penalty this weekend too after Austin? So... But though typically the Red Bulls, as we've seen, they prefer starting the race from the back of the grid and racing to the podium, so... Yeah, you can say that they almost are beneficial to be outside the top 10 with Ricardo, 15th or 16th at Japan. He ends up fourth, wasn't it? So clearly that there's something about them cutting through the, the air alternate strategies. It's almost as though getting caught up in the, the scrum of the, the, the leaders somehow does something to, to the, the air of the the tight um, car design, you could say, that constricts them. And for whatever reason, Ricardo finds his resilience when he's up against it. And we saw what he did at China earlier in the year when he was 18th on the grid, I think it was, and he got that great victory. So there's something in it for them. And you just do wonder, though, with the altitude, whether that'll have a factor in terms of reliability. Yeah, exactly. And as we said, yeah, the high altitude always has that question mark over reliability and power unit performance as well. It's sort of puts them all on an even playing field which is why Red Bull is so strong so it all comes down to the aerodynamics and everything and being such a fast circuit as well it's one of the fastest on the calendar too so yeah we'll see how everyone goes but it would be great to see those top three as you say um, all together and now that Kimi's won a race too you know can he back it up with another like he's been you got to say one of the form drivers in this back half of the season with the podiums that he's had and I guess it's all been a bit secondary to Lewis Hamilton and his performances in the back half of the season four races in a row and now going to win the championship but yeah Kimi's probably next to Hamilton the form driver and then Verstappen third you get a lot of people to reassess their opinions on Raikkonen if he went from zero victories in 110 or so starts to t two race victories in in seven days that would be quite a, a spectacle but as it is we've got to be satisfied with what he's had there and you think that he'll roll on through to the end of the year on, on this note and it's up to, to Vettel to reassert himself otherwise we go to the off season with a lot of doubt about him. Yeah exactly so we'll wait and see and hopefully we've got another great race to talk about next week but uh, other than that not much else to report so I think we should wrap things up. Absolutely, till then. Yeah, thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time.